And I think it is desperately important that people do understand what's going on because it's getting more and more urgent um, that they protect what they have from what might happen. They now have to keep printing while we trench. We've got this ticking time bomb. Talking gold is one and only Andrew McGuire. Welcome to Live from the Vault. All right, welcome to Live from the Vault. My name is Shane Moran, and I'll be your host for this episode. And from the entire Live from the Vault team worldwide, we want to thank you for your continued support. And as you can imagine, the community keeps growing more and more every single week, and there's a lot to talk about during these historic times. And Andrew McGuire is in the house with returning special guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod, and we'll be talking gold. This is going to be an amazing episode, so fasten your seatbelts. You know, Live from the Vault gives you access to information and updates that you just can't get anywhere else. And this episode will be no exception. So just before we go to talking gold with Andrew McGuire and Alistair McLeod, Remember to please keep spreading the word about this channel by liking, sharing, hit that smash subscribe button. You know how that works. And this is really, it really helps us reach even more and more people on these important topics, especially in these times here. And then while you're at it, just hit that bell if you'd like to be notified as each episode goes live. So hit it now. And so with that, let me introduce our special returning guest. And what's really interesting is less than a week ago, I had someone call me and say, hey, you need to get Alistair McLeod on. And I said, he was on. We've got him on episode number 35. And here he is today. Uh, Alistair's been a celebrated a stockbroker, a member of the London Stock Exchange for over four decades, and his experience encompasses equity and bond markets and fund management, corporate finance, investment strategies. So with that, hey, let's get over to the UK and talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire. And here we have Alistair McLeod. Over to you, Andrew. Well, sir, thank you so much for, for the return visit. Um, and, and look, if I might just say, look, Anyone who doesn't know Alistair, I'd be amazed if you don't know Alistair. Um, but but um, most of us in the gold community will, that if by chance you haven't, uh, you need to know that, uh, that Alistair it has um, probably, uh, he has so much experience um, in the financial industry. Uh, and and it, it, it struck me last time, he is the, the epitome of an incisive thinker. And, and, and he understands... Uh, the economics, the financial history. History is so important when we see it rhyming again and again, Alistair. And, uh, and really, you know, he, he's a good demystifier. Uh, and I'm sure that's not a real word, but, he, but of the complex world of high finance. So welcome, uh, Alistair. And so nice to feel that you spare the time to be with us. Uh, Andy, you're being very kind. <laughs> Thank you for your very kind words. And it's very much my pleasure to be back with you again and um, you know going back to what Shane was saying in the introduction about you know sort of hitting the but button one of the things that I really am so keen on is to educate people about what actually is going on not the official version but the real version and um, you know I and also a number of my colleagues like James Turk um, have dedicated ourselves to that end. And I think it is desperately important that people do understand what's going on because it's getting more and more urgent um, that they protect what they have from what might happen. 
Yeah, and 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 obviously, you know, we're, we're always looking forward to getting your views on some of the economic drivers relating to gold, etc. Because we we obviously all focus on gold, but but what well, perhaps we should start uh, by looking at the elephant in the room, which is of course uh, the petro ruble, uh, the blowbacks of the Russian uh, centric sanctions are having on the West. Um, and uh, I know you've done some excellent work. Uh, read it on Zero Hedge couple of times, two or three times now, recently been published a lot, because um, I think people look to you now for, you've, you've included the history and how this all comes together, but but what's, what's your thoughts? Again, you mentioned the narrative. You question the narrative. We all question the narrative, and that's an important thing. Yeah, I mean, my, my approach to this is very much sort of top down. I mean, you know, from the very, very far top, looking down and if you look at the the geopolitical dimension uh, to all this what we are seeing is we're seeing the emergence of super states in asia and um these super states in asia actually have a pretty good understanding of what the americans are doing with their money um and i mean we first noticed this um back in march 2020 when uh, the Fed went all in with zero interest rates, 120 billion a month of, of QE. Um, I mean, it was clear to the Chinese that this was the most inflationary move they'd ever seen coming out of the dollar. So what did they do? They started stockpiling commodities. I mean, you know, we're not just talking about copper, um, you know, nickel, the dreaded nickel, uh, but also um, grains. And so we've got a situation where even before um, Russia walked into the Ukraine or tried to take out Ukraine, uh, China had um, the majority of the world's rice stocks, wheat stocks, maize stocks, I think about 30% of uh, global soybean stocks. So when this is for 20% of the world's population. Uh, now, very, very smart move, particularly with the benefit of hindsight. Now, whether they knew that the Russians were going to attack Ukraine or not, we don't know. But the effect of that is that this summer uh, there is going to be genuine starvation around the world. Um, and the Chinese were protecting themselves from this. So China um, has already commoditized her currency in that sense. And you can see, if you look at what the um, the Chinese renminbi has done against the dollar, since that March um, episode for the Fed, uh, the renminbi has increased by, I think, around about 12% or, or, or thereabouts. So there has been some protection there, not total. Um, and China still has firepower to protect her own currency, which she has not yet deployed. And by that, I mean undeclared stocks of physical gold, which she does not include in her reserves. And I estimated um, that that could be as much as 20,000 tonnes back in 2002. And that was when the Chinese government then permitted the public, the Chinese public, to begin to accumulate gold. They opened the Shanghai Gold Exchange and they even advertised on television, buy gold. And the result is that since then, roughly, I think just over 20,000 tonnes of physical gold has been withdrawn, in other words, delivered from the Shanghai Gold Exchange. So, you know, we can see that 
um, I would say a minimum of 20,000 tons is in, is in uh, uh, Chinese government hands and various sources. Uh, and also you've got another 20,000 tons in public sources. Now, you know, the public holding is probably 60 to 70 percent jewellery. So it's not monetary gold quite in that sense. But in Asia, as as we all know, um, you know, the Indians and the Chinese do regard gold jewellery as money. And um, uh, the you know, there is very little premium, if you like, uh, between uh, jewellery and physical gold. And they use it. I mean, in India and and uh, Indonesia, their networks of um, pawn shops who will take in gold as collateral uh, for loans in uh, of paper money. So what you get in India is you get the farmers uh, literally, you know, when it comes to sowing next year's crop, you know, they need to buy the seed. How do they do that? They go along to a pawn shop with their wife's gold bangles and they deposit them uh, and they get rupees back and they rush out and buy the seed. And at the end of the season, they can redeem, you know, redeem it all back. That's the way it's worked for a very, very long time. And indeed, in China, the word for money is the same word for gold. So, you know, there you have it. Um, this is a very different world from um, the one we have had from uh, 1971, when Nixon ended or suspended temporarily, I think the word was, uh, the Bretton Woods Agreement. So then we come to the situation over sanctions against Russia. Um, well, the first thing that happened was that when Russia walked into Ukraine, supplies from Europe's breadbasket to the rest of the world are basically compromised. And not only that, but that area is a huge producer of energy intensive fertilizer, which the rest of us rely on to greater or lesser degree for the production of our crop yields. So you can see, going back to what I was saying earlier, that, that you know, we are genuinely heading for starvation um, in parts of the world. And I mean, not, not, only, not only in the LDCs, but also in major economies such as ours. I mean, the poor in this country, in Britain, are going to have a hell of a hard time in the summer feeding themselves and their families between that and energy prices and all the rest of it. So that's not good. And um, then we had the sanctions. So the price rises which are being brought about by the sanctions haven't even hit yet. And I saw this morning that um, Germany's producer prices are up 30 percent. That's you know, this is this is in the pipeline now. Um, and then there was the third bit, which I found interesting and I'm still sort of digesting it really and I'm writing about it for tomorrow's article for gold money and that is that um, the uh, sort of if you like the central Asian block of ex-Soviet states plus Russia plus China are planning a currency to replace the dollar for cross-border settlement. Now I think that will probably extend beyond that into the whole of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which encompasses including India, Pakistan, Iran, China, and all the rest of it, all these very, very big populations. 40% of the world's population are in the SCO. Now, the one thing that they don't want 
is they understand that when the dollar's purchasing power goes down because it is being debauched through um, issuance by the Fed, that um, there is a transfer of wealth from dollar deposits to the US government. Now, if you're a, you know, if you're a trader in the middle of Asia and you've got a dollar balance and you see this going on, you say, hold on a minute, we don't want this. So this is, if you like, the driving force behind this new currency. The new currency, I mean, it's details yet to be properly um, uh, released, but from what we can understand from the architects of this is that they plan to incorporate, first of all, all the national currencies in that block, in that uh, Central Asian block, uh, and uh, also uh, 20 odd commodities. Now, this is interesting because um, gold isn't mentioned. But I can see that from a purely strategic point of view, there would be a worry that if they say, right, we're going to go, we're just going to have a, you know, we're going to introduce gold. I mean, remember that Sir Isaac Newton back in 17, whatever it was, when he was master of the, of the Royal Mint, um, reckoned that uh, the currency sterling should be backed 40% by gold coin, 40%. It looks like they're doing a similar thing, not with gold, but wider commodities. So what's the difference? I mean, the difference is from their point of view that, you know, if you've got one commodity, call it gold, um, that leaves your new currency open to being manipulated by outside forces. I mean, we, we see this all the time and you can give us chapter and verse. <laughs> Andy, on on uh, the interventions in, in 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 the gold market and how you know the various sort of if you like state interests and all the rest of it just whips all the whole thing around Bank of International Settlements you know the um, U.S. Treasury whatever whatever so by having a basket of currencies they are not exposed to that problem I think that's the first thing the second thing which we should note is that if you look at the purchasing power of the gold gram um, uh, with respect to commodities generally, it's remarkably stable. I mean, it really is. The price of oil today in gold grams is 30% lower than it was in 1950. Now, you know, it's a similar story with all the other commodities. The volatility is in paper currencies, not in commodities themselves when you price them in gold. So a basket of 20 commodities, okay, there's room for them to fiddle around with it and all the rest of it, we can accept that, but you can see that they're designing something which is getting away from the Western currency catastrophe. So what's the Western currency catastrophe? That's really the next subject. We're seeing prices rise out of control. And this is something which um, for some reason, the central bankers either did not see or did not want to see. I mean, do you remember they were talking about transient and all this rubbish? I mean, we now have a situation where uh, even on CPI measures, which actually don't capture the whole thing, um, uh, you have got prices rising at over 8% in America. Now, if I go back to the last time we had an inflation episode, uh, the 1970s, we went into the 1970s with the Fed funds rate at 6.6%. 6 
we, we're going into this one with the Fed funds rate at, uh, well, it started off at zero. <laughs> um, and if you look at the um, at where we ended up in terms of um, bond yields, now this is the interesting thing. In terms of bond yields, the 10-year um, uh, US Treasury note, uh, I think, ended up yielding about 15% in 1980. Um, and where are we now? We're less than 3%. Now, this tells me that there is a very substantial rise in bond yields and interest rates yet to come. I mean, there can be no other uh, conclusion. So on that basis, we have a catastrophe. And we have a catastrophe because the whole of the post Bretton Woods um, Western monetary system has evolved into a financially based system. Banks don't lend to businesses anymore. Big businesses, manufacturing, all the manufacturing has gone abroad. I mean, that's gone to China, Southeast Asia, wherever. What they're doing is they are just recycling um, financial assets. That is the collateral that the banks now have, the big banks. So what happens when they collapse? It takes out the commercial banks. It takes out the central banks because guess what? They've become enormous hedge funds owning all this stuff through through QE. And I mean, you can read. I mean, if you just look at what's happening to the to the Japanese yen at the moment, I mean, in the last uh, from the beginning of March, it's lost roughly 12 percent of its value against the dollar. And the dollar's no angel either. So. Um, you know, why? And the answer basically is they've got themselves stuck on uh, negative to zero interest rates. And the Bank of Japan has actually publicly stated we will not permit the yield on the 10 year JGB to rise above a quarter of one percent. Come on. You know, we're talking about an era of massive inflation. So what are they doing? It's quite simple. They're destroying their currency. The ECB has the same problem. The ECB's balance sheet is already in negative equity, if you look at it properly. Now, um, who are their shareholders? Whoops, all the national central banks. What's their position? They're all ne in negative equity as well. And if you look at the uh, Eurosystem's uh, big banks, the um, global systemically important banks, um, they're pretty much all on um, asset to equity ratios of over 20 times. And in one case, as a French bank, I think it was Credit Agricole, we're looking at 30 times. This is lunacy. I mean, you know, conventional banking wisdom is that you could probably afford to have an asset to equity ratio of no more than 10 times. Yet here we are, 20 plus times. The Japanese banking system is also 20 plus times. So you can see that, you know, if you're, um, uh, you know, the economist um, uh, working for the Russian government advising on the construction of a new, <laughs> new currency, you can see, oh my God, you know, it's actually very urgent. We get this thing up and running because we've got to escape this catastrophe, which is hitting the West. And that's roughly where we are. And the move to um, uh, uh, to the unfriendlies that they've got to pay for their energy in rubles um, is completely consistent with the commoditization of the ruble. And 
what this means is that um, the ruble is going better against the dollar. I mean, I last saw it this morning, I think at 78 to the dollar, having been 150 to the dollar, you know, the high, for those inexperienced or not, who don't, you know, sort of follow um, uh, uh, currency markets, you know, if you have a high number of rubles, it's a weak, per, it's a weak ruble, you know, it's actually come down from 150 down to a little below 80. And I would expect, I mean, I think it's going to be one of the stronger currencies. But the problem we have is that um, none of us in this call uh, are likely to go out into the foreign exchanges and buy rubles or buy yuan or whatever. I mean, if we went if we, if we went to St. Petersburg to go to see the palace, <laughs> you know, we might get some spare change. But that's it. The only way you can actually play this is through physical gold. And the other thing I'd just like to say about this financialization, the end of the era of financialization, which is what we're seeing, um, it's going to take out uh, the, the um, uh, derivatives markets. I mean, completely. Um, that is bound to happen. Uh, I mean, you can make a case for uh, the original purpose of a derivative. And that is, you know, this was going way back, you know, a farmer would, um, uh, you know, he he would sell his his product. He could see that, you know, all all wheat was coming on the market at the same time. So you know, when he was uh, about to deliver his wheat, uh, he would find that um, you know the price was absolute rubbish because everybody else was delivering at the same time. How do you hedge against that? Well, the answer is that you can um, sell your wheat forward in a on a derivative exchange uh, and to capture the prices which are more akin to where they are out of harvest. I mean, that was really the beginning of the of the Chicago exchange. So um, I think that, you know, that sort of sensible um, uh, use of a derivative market, there is always a role for. But where they have become used uh, by banks who've got no skin in, in, in the underlying game, just as to punt it around and as a source of manipulating profits, that is going to die. And it'll probably die with our Western banking system. I mean, I don't know how they're going to... I, mean, I, can, I can tell you how to rescue a central bank. That's very, very easy. But I can't tell you how to rescue the ECB because of its shareholders. Its share, you've got to rescue its shareholders as well. I mean, the scheme of arrangement goes not just one deep, but two deep. And you don't want to be having to do this at a time when the commercial banking network is also falling over. So this is really what we face. And I think that, I mean, you know, raising the saying the ruble is the elephant in the room, I think, is um, a very good way of introducing the whole topic, because it is a very, very big and important subject. We are moving from a financialized world to a commodity-backed world. I think it's probably too much to say that currencies are going to be um, completely commodity-backed. I wouldn't say that at all. But what I would say is that commodities are going to be in there as a feature. And if there is any sign, I think that, um, say, the Chinese yuan or uh, the ruble, um, you know, starts being undermined by currency developments in the West, at that stage, they will probably start introducing gold. So it's a fascinating situation. And this juncture, I think, is extremely important. I think it's extremely important to understand 
what is going on. Yeah, I think, and this is so well, and that's so well put because it, it's 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 good to to get the, the you know the, the the fuller picture and to understand what's going on. But I think <clears throat> what's what's so interesting at this point is how it's evolving. Obviously, from a, obviously we're gold we're gold uh, buyers, stackers, traders, you know, and and we like to look at you know what's what's going on. And it was interesting. You talked about currency crosses there. And what was really interesting about that was that when the when the when Biden called the ruble rubble, uh, what 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 happened was within a very few days, um, Russia came in and put that gold peg in. Okay, so it was yet, to, but within two weeks of that, within two weeks, not only had they got the gold the, the ruble price higher against the dollar. But they, they actually, at one point, it spiked to, uh, to October 28, uh, to October 2001, October the 28th, 2001 highs against the dollar. I mean, obviously, it retraced, yeah. as you say, yeah. 78, yeah. 79. But what is so interesting mm. is that when they, so, so they'd achieved, to me, they achieved exactly what they wanted to do using gold to really, uh, we're not saying it's backing the, 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 the ruble, uh, but what it's doing is, of course, creating this link, and, and, um, which is kind of the elephant in the room. Um, and then all of a sudden, now we notice that we, we obviously we're connected with the liquidity providers and we see constantly a 30 to $60 higher price on this now new bilateral negotiated uh, price, uh, the, the, obviously the 5,000 ruble program, uh, that did its job. And now we notice that they're using this buffer here to keep the exchange rate within a micro-managed range. And, and it's so interesting because we watch it like a hawk every day. We watch the, the, the our liquidity providers telling us where you know, what the XAU ruble price is, not the XAU US dollar prices, and then obviously against the exchange rate. And it's constantly some 30 to 50, in fact, 30 to $60 higher. And that's dragging this, this paper-centric price. You know, there's a, a terrible thing for, for, the, uh, for the officials here. It's called an EFP, isn't it? An exchange for physical. And if you rig the COMEX price to a level that can then be transited into the spot market, which is, to, and I know you're one of the few people all over Basel III uh, NSFR standards, and technically this is a T plus two deliverable contract. So you transit that COMEX price into the spot market, which is now technically T plus two deliverable, you've just change the game and then when you add in the 30 percent discount that's being offered to friends for oil and so now i can go out and buy or not i but uh, but if i'm well connected enough uh, to go out and buy um a 70 a 30 percent discount uh, i think brent was 108 today at some point 75 bucks i can buy what 26 barrels what do i do i can sell that into the global market that's that's a I know that's a, a flip of about six to eight hundred bucks per ounce. Now, obviously, it's limited to the amount 
of that is put on offer at the PM fix. It's it's limited to that, and obviously it's not all put on offer uh, because there is those constraints. So it's interesting because over time, this is sucking that at the margin paper market liquidity out, and it's a one way journey. And as it goes into to Russia. China, obviously, as you said, they've, they've got between the, their alliance, they're, they're, there's probably 34,000 tons of, of gold within those that alliance. But they are the physical, that is the physical market now. It's not the LBMA anymore. So this is a mega shift. There is another aspect of this, which, which, which is fascinating. And that is the very fact that the unfriendlies, as Putin would call us, um, <laughs> actually made all the paper currency reserves at the, uh, in the hands of the uh, Russian central bank worthless um, has actually sent a very strong signal to all other central banks. And um, I'm sure that at this moment they're having series of meetings, internal meetings, saying, you know, how does this affect uh, the gold that we have uh, stored in London? Um, possibly in New York as well. I don't think there are any other sort of major centers where they're stored. I mean, they'll probably have them vaulted in Switzerland perhaps as well. But, you know, those are the two things. Now, you know, for a start, we turned around and told the Venezuelan government, no, they can't have their gold because the Americans told us to say you can't have your gold. Now, this is, this is not, <laughs> not a very good thing. So the trend, if you like, is confirming one thing. Don't leave your gold lying around in London. Get it back home. And I think that that trend is going to continue. And there is another question, and I go all the way back to um, 2022, tw sorry, 2002, when Frank stood up at a conference in Chile and said after he'd done his research that he didn't know how much gold there was out on lease, but he estimated it could be anything between 10 and 14,000 tonnes bearing in mind that that upper figure was roughly half the total gold at that time um, in central bank reserves. So, well, I mean, what's the position today? Um, I think there has been a refinement in terms of, firstly, how the gold is used, and secondly, where it may be stored. So you have this, you have, we, have, we saw this actually with uh, GLD, um, suddenly found that the, Bank of England was a sub-custodian. <laughs> it's gold was there. It wasn't going to go anywhere, that was for sure. But where gold is out on lease or swap, um, there's, a, there's, there's the double counting effect. So, um, you know, it could be that the 34,000, 35,000 tonnes, which officially is the total uh, of all central bank gold, is probably 10,000 tonnes less than that. I, you know, I would pluck a figure out of the air. Now, how do you resolve that one at the end of this period of financialization as currencies begin to collapse? I mean, it's the, it's the bit about the tide going out and who's, who's wearing the, the shorts, you know? <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's that, that problem. Yeah. I mean, I can just see that we've got a load of issues coming up in the gold market, which um, I think could be extremely important. And, um, you know, one thing I always say to people, you know, the, the point about gold is that you don't buy it to trade it. You buy it to spend it. You'll end up spending it. 
Now you can't spend, um, you know, COMEX contracts. I mean, those you trade, okay, trade, you know, take your life into your own hands, trade them, great. But when it comes to physical gold, the reason you buy it is you want to have at least a portion of your wealth in something that is going to survive a currency Armageddon. Now, what we have with the current interest rate situation is the makings of a currency Armageddon. And we should look at what they're doing with rubles. We should look at what they're doing with yuan and a new currency in Central Asia and conclude that there are some people who've got a bloody good idea of what's going on who are opting out of the Western currency system. Why are they doing it? I mean, the answer to my mind is actually quite simple. And that is that all the malfeasance that's been going on about interest rates, what is inflation? I mean, you know, they keep on saying that inflation is rising prices. No, it's not. It's a debasement of the currency. Why do they insist on, on leaving currency out of it? I mean, I remember seeing, um, you know, I was, I was obviously bored. I read one of the FOMC statements a couple of months ago and there was no mention of money in it. You know, <laughs> hold on. This is, the, this is the Federal Open Market Committee, you know, which basically deals with the money. They never mentioned money. I mean, you know, can, can, what is going on here? And the answer is quite simple. They don't want us to understand that actually what they're doing is debasing the currency in order to pay the government's bills, in order to pay the, you know, the politicians, um, uh, you know, ambitions for spending this, that and the other thing. If we actually understood that, the whole system would fall apart tomorrow. That's why, that's why they insist on not telling us what inflation is. It's not a question of inflation, it's debasement, debauchment of the currency. And I think it was, um, I, I think it was uh, uh, Keynes um, in one of his earlier, earlier uh, 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 books, quoting Stalin, saying, um, uh, you know, the easy, quickest way to impoverish the middle classes is to debauch the currency. <laughs> Come on, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. Absolutely. And, and you just mentioned uh, the derivatives bomb. I mean, OK, so where where are all these? Now, when we talk about leasing something, um, well, really, you, you, you would you're essentially selling it. Now you're selling it. The title has shifted. As you say, it's still counted on your books the way it's worked. But but how many times and you talked about the derivative market, how the simple uh, grain trader how it had a value because you could then forward you could forward your production you could understand where you were but then somebody came along and started flogging your production 50 times over 100 times over and when and then suddenly the credit of all these people that had done that is now questionable and i think suddenly this leads to a one quadrillion <laughs> I, I can't do you know what uh, alistair i can't even a, a, a trillion was hard enough to me to follow, but a one quadrillion of derivatives, bets floating out there. How much yeah. of that is gold? How much of that is gold that sits in the 8,000? How much of the 8,130 tons of that is from yeah. the US? How much is, I mean, Britain has no gold left. I mean, goodness me, Gordon Brown flogged that off pretty quickly. But, Not worth mentioning. <laughs> I mean, Yet, yet, yet we have, we look and we see countries like Russia not having sold a single ounce, China not having sold a single ounce. In fact, Russia 
some months before the incursion, um, refused to even allow um, scrap gold to be sold. I mean, you know, to that degree. And, and so really, I really doubt any of that is, is rehypothecated. I think somewhere between us, you, I think you've mentioned 12,000 tons for, for, for probable for Russia. Uh, our liquidity providers, after three years of data, have said somewhere around 14. So somewhere within that bound is, 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 re is there's empirical evidence to suggest that. And then China, as you say, 20. Uh, some people say 20, 25, conservatively. And that's just, that's just what's come out of Shanghai. That doesn't include sneaky stuff that's come across uh, on a flight somewhere or out of Africa or somewhere that isn't, doesn't flow through the, the, the exchange. And then you've got the, um, the, 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 the difference between the Fed put <laughs> under propping, propping a ballooning stock market and the Chinese put ensuring that the, 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 the citizens they were told to go and buy gold will not, we will protect you. It will never, you'll never regret buying gold even on a short-term basis. And it's like, what a, what a difference, what a, what a polar difference. You've just mentioned really what I hope gets a lot of people really thinking um, about, as you say, repatriations, why if you, if you were a holder of treasuries and you, and you pee off the wrong person, suddenly your, your, your account is frozen. I mean, this is, I can't believe that, that people aren't racing, racing to do something about this. The only thing we can do, I can only think I can think of doing anything right now is, is, is grab some gold, grab some silver, you know, basically something physical because all our currencies are literally debasing yeah, to zero. I mean, eventually, um, I think what will happen is that at some point um, we will uh, tie our currencies back to gold um, simply because, you know, you can't, you know, we can't operate like Venezuela. <laughs> I mean, apart from anything else, the only reason that Venezuela operates is because there are enough US dollars in circulation, which nobody talks about, to keep things going. That's, we're talking about a situation where even that's not available. So um, under those circumstances, I think what will happen, uh, and we've seen this time and time again, I mean, uh, it happened, for example, at the end of the Second World War in Hong Kong. The uh, military yen was completely valueless. But what did the Hong Kong cadets do, like Carpathwaite and all the rest of it? What they did basically was they said, OK, we will introduce a new Hong Kong dollar um, which is based on the US dollar, um, uh, but we will we will do an exchange rate, and it was something like I can't remember. It's something like five thousand to one um, for the existing worthless uh, 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 Japanese military yen. I mean, but the the point was they needed to get the stuff into circulation, and this was the way to do it. Um, and that tells me that the way out of this eventually uh, will be for. Uh, the central banks to turn their existing currency in circulation into gold substitutes. Now, for that to work, I mean, bear in mind that we're going to go down the down a, a pretty nasty road before we get there. Uh, I, I, I mean, we could easily see a conversion rate of, um, you know, sort of hundred thousand dollars to one, uh, you know, to to an ounce or. 
um, or even more. I, I, I don't know. I mean, just pick numbers out of a hat. Bear in mind, we're not talking about gold going up. We're talking about dollars going down and sterling going down. And, you know, <laughs> at that stage, I doubt actually if the euro will still exist. I mean, that's that really is the biggest bag of worms you can imagine. Um, and uh, the yen, again, um, you know, might remind uh, the few people left around what happened in Hong Kong in 1945. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's that serious. We've got to get over the problem as well that intellectually the establishment does not understand money anymore. It does not understand that legally, and I'm talking law now, Roman law codified in British law, which became the basis for the international banking system. Money is not currency. It is gold. It is gold. It's that and nothing else. Um, it can also be silver. And theoretically, it can also be copper because that's the basis of coinage. But um, it is gold. Money is gold. Simple as that. And it is not someone else's credit, which is the distinction between gold and currency and gold and bank balances. So, you know, we, we will get back to that. The other problem is that not only do the, the central bankers not understand money, which I know is an amazing statement to make, but true nonetheless, but they're guided by um, uh, the wishful thinking of Keynesian macroeconomics. And that's such a load of rubbish. That's got to be completely abandoned and we have to get back to reality. Um, and I think that the somersaults which the system has got to go through in order to achieve that um, means that this is not going to be a quick fix at all. It could take time. And I will also say that um, there is a temptation, there will be a temptation um, as um, the purchasing power of uh, Western currencies um, uh, sinks, uh, that they will come up with something else like, you know, the new central bank digital currencies. Um, you know, no, this is uh, uh, um, uh, another attempt by the, by the people who screwed it up in the first place to do it again. And we've seen what happened before. I mean, in France at the time of the revolution, you had the Assignat, um and that was issued and issued and issued until it was pretty well worthless. And then they came up with another, oh, wonderful idea. There's a new one. We've got a new currency, the Territorio Mandat. <laughs> that lasted six months. That was it. <laughs> So, you know, look, this is massive. I think there comes a point people just, just don't well, exactly. believe it I mean, this is, you know, the currency is a matter for the users. It is, it is you and I exchanging our skills, um, storing our skills in the form of money before we spend it. It is us who actually take that decision. This is why gold and silver have always been money. And currencies are something different. It's not a function of government to, to, to do this. <coughs> we can't stop them, I'm afraid. It's not going to be easy to stop them. Um, they do have a role, if you like, in policing sound money. But it has to stick to that. And we're going to be a long, long way from um, governments being persuaded that that is actually all they should do with, 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 with a currency. You know, a genuine... Um, money substitute, gold money substitute. And I also, also mentioned silver. Um, I think I've always felt that one of the, the benefits of silver is that it's actually not owned by central banks. And what I mean by that is that 
if things start falling over sort of let's say fairly slowly um by slowly i mean say takes six months somewhere along there you will find that you know biden and boris or whoever will all turn around and say we're going to ban ownership of of of, of gold um you know gold coins uh, except for limited jewelry or whatever whatever you know now they could well do that um but they're not going to do it against silver so under those circumstances silver i think does have actually have a very very important role in what we're about to see yeah that's sage advice and and i think as you say it, it's difficult i mean who knows what they will try i mean we've just been through a, a pandemic which was crazy the way it was dealt with was crazy so and you have to give your head a shake as to how that evolved that way and then so yes anything and everything is possible here but i think what is so interesting about um the sanctioned blowbacks this is what they've done is shoot themselves in the foot it is so it, the, the it you cannot put this back in the bag and the sanctions have blown back and all of a sudden what we see is a central bank out there for the first time openly saying, I will buy your gold and here's my price. And, and furthermore, oh, by the way, I'll give you a 30% discount to use that gold. And my God, at the margin, we all know how at the margin, the physical paper balance has been teetering. I mean, this... Before, before these sanctions came in, before the blowbacks, before the geopolitics kicked in, you and I were talking about this a long time. It's already en route. It's already, the price of gold was already destined to rise. And, um, you know, we, we knew it would. We knew it would. And, and you were very, very early in the, in the game too. There was very few people talking about Basel III. So important because... The BIS already knew that this was going to happen at some point, that gold would be revalued. It had to be revalued. And, and all the things you've said, I mean, and this is where I see a bit of a divergence. It's interesting because I talked to Daniela Di Marto Booth about this, who said, oh, the Fed, I worked in the Fed, never mentioned gold, never. It's interesting, didn't realize they hadn't mentioned money, <laughs> even worse, but they hadn't mentioned gold. And, and, and I think it, it's so interesting because this, it, it just makes you realize how out of touch, how out of touch these central planners are. And, and they have no clue that we're literally in the hands of fools. So it's, it's an interesting time. Yeah, it is. And, <laughs> but it, you know, to be, well, what can I say? I, it's, it's gone that way, basically, because governments have gone that way. And um, every government minister um, looks not to um, stand back, if you like, and say, look, you know, if government gets involved, this is just going to get worse. Really, the best thing we can do is let you sort out your own problems, not have us in there. Now, no minister can do that. No MP can do that. You know, they're all in there basically with one with one purpose. They are expected to intervene on behalf of whoever asks them to intervene. And, um, you know, that can only go so far. I mean, it becomes a process whereby, um, 
it doesn't take very long before government actually does realise that um, its function is to intervene. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And um, I mean, it shouldn't be, but, you know, they, they, they don't understand the situation where, you know, the um, private sector is actually the engine that pays everybody's bills. And it works best if it is left alone to do that. And, um, you know, the, I, I, going back to Hong Kong, I mean, that was such a fascinating situation because um, after the Second World War, I mean, for a start, the island was completely destitute, being economically destroyed completely by the Japanese occupation. Um, shortly after that, I mean, you know, the, when um, the colonial officers, it was then sent out cadets. Now, the cadets basically were the guys who were trained administrators um, and uh, they had been trained to administer Hong Kong. So they were ready to go back in after the war. What they did, and particularly in the, in, in the case of John Cowperthwaite, was not only were they very able administrators, not only could they handle the situation well, but they understood that the last thing you wanted was to have um, uh, economic specialists from London telling him what to do, saying, collect this statistic, that statistic, because we need to be able to measure this, that, and the other thing. Cowperthwaite turned around, he told his, he told everybody in his employee, he said, you know, look, no statistics, don't want to know. Forget it. And he basically, what he did was, he, you know, he said, he said, look, this economy is recovering without our intervention. What we will do is we will keep the level of income tax, no other tax, of income tax at 14%. Now, bear in mind that this was a country or an island state with a little bit of the mainland sort of attached under treaty, uh, which had no natural resources. Uh, had to more or less import everything before it exported anything. So it became a sort of entrepot centre, as it were. And not only that, but you had the communists raging uh, around the, um, uh, the Chinese mainland, creating a massive, massive um, immigration problem. I mean, you know, you had people trying to get the hell out of Shanghai and everything. But what they did with Shanghai was they said, oh, well, OK, all these traders want to come out of Shanghai. We'll welcome them with open arms, you know, and uh, it was it was sensible policies like that, plus non-intervention, which turned Hong Kong from complete destitution at the end of the Second World War to one of the wealthiest nation states in the world before we handed it back to China. And, um, you know, I it's and look at look at Germany when you had um, uh, the wall going down, you had East and West Germany. I mean, the reason the wall fell down was that despite uh, all the heavy um, censorship of news and all the rest of it, the Osties knew that just a throws stone throws away away, you know, you didn't have to queue for food. Or do anything like that. You had you had a far higher level of freedom. We're talking about the same people, just divided by war. So you know the the message from all this is that government should be small. It should not intervene. It should leave us, you know, as private citizens, to go about our business, make our own mistakes, and make our own money, not tax it away. 
not remove our um, our savings through taxation, um, just butt out. You know, keep it down to below twenty percent of the, of GDP, and you know, then you will have a healthy economy. So, I mean, the point where this is relevant to gold is that there is got to be an awful lot of change in the way we do things as well as introducing or reintroducing sound money as the centerpiece of our currency system. This is, and they are not going to give up lightly, I can tell you. They will, um, they will try and go down with the ship rather than save the ship. You know, I, <laughs> I can see that. I really can see that. It's going to be very tough. You've got to have some physical gold, physical silver in order to get through. And you will spend it, not take a profit. That's the point. You've summed it, I mean, absolutely summed it up. You've got to have physical gold and physical silver. And it's exactly the same message that Robert Kiyosaki gave us when, he, when we did an interview with him. He just kept saying, tell people, have you got physical? All I care about is, have you got physical? And I think, as you say, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. You've just outlined all the things that very likely will happen because history always repeats itself at some point. And, and you, you've drawn some really interesting parallels there. Um, and I think all we can do, I think, at this point is to be our own central bank and literally make sure we've got some physical um, and in our possession and, um, and make sure they can't take it away from us. Um, so, um, and there are ways of doing that. So, um, but again, we've got the beauty of this, of this, the irony of, of the, of this sanctions of the, is that all they've done is really opened the gold window again and, and accelerated the process. As you say, they don't want to go down with the ship, but they may have to, but, uh, as you say that, the, you know, how little gold is held uh, that what is there is probably rehypothecated to, to a large degree. How little gold we have in comparison to just combine the empirical evidence that we have, say 34,000 tonnes of gold between Russia and China. There's the physical market, not the LBMA. I mean, there's where the price is going to be set. Yeah. And there's an active buyer yeah. there saying, bring yeah. it on. I, it, it's, I'm sorry, but I don't think there's any going back from here. And I think it's going to be very tough, tough for them to actually confiscate gold or, or those kind of things. But I do take your, your, I think we should all listen to your advice there. Silver gives you another degree of separation. It's a very important. And I, and I think, thank you so much for sharing all your sage thoughts with us today. And, and, and you've spared in an hour of your time here today and, and really do appreciate everything you've, you've brought to us. Well, I very much appreciate um, your live from the vault sessions because uh, it, it, it certainly keeps me informed about what's going on in, in the market, which um, is, a, is always, always interesting. And I, but, I, you know, I would say that one of the problems with the LBMA is I don't think any member of the LBMA actually understands that bigger picture, which we've been talking about. Um, but nonetheless, it's interesting, you know, to sort of know what uh, is going on within the LBMA, um, within the Bank of International Settlements, you know, their trading desk and so on and so forth. And it just helps put the complete picture together. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that, too. Well, all the pieces of the jigsaw are there for us all to make up. As you say, it's down to us. We have to make up our own minds that if, if 
We're left alone enough to be able to go and buy our gold and silver today. At least they're not interfering with that yet. So at least we have that window of opportunity ourselves to stack physical. But thank you so much, Alistair. It's been such a buzz to have you. That's very much my pleasure, Andy. And thanks, Shane, too. <laughs> thank you so much, Andrew McGuire and Alistair McLeod, for another fascinating discussion. Amazing, amazing, amazing. That's all I've got to say. I'm sure our whole community is going to really appreciate uh, that discussion. And remember, buy physical and understand the difference between what Andy affectionately calls the casino paper and gold markets and the actual physical gold and silver markets. They're not the same. Don't be fooled. And there you have it. That's all we have for you today on another episode of Live from the Vault. Please help us spread the word about this channel by liking, sharing, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already done that. And Hit the bell if you'd like to be notified as each episode goes live. And with that, we'll see you next time on Live from the Vault. See you then.